0: So if you have a copy of God's Word, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 2. As Joe said, Proverbs chapter 2. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, find your phone or find the black pew Bible in the pew back in front of you. And so we will all meet with uncertain challenges and unforeseen situations in the coming months and years. So how will we be prepared to face them? Well, you may be familiar with this uh, book or this line of books. uh, The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. I have in my hand the Extreme Edition, so if you really want to go bold. So it covers topics that you may or may not face in life, such as how to escape from an angry gorilla. So if you find yourself in the heart of Africa or in a zoo, you can know how to escape. Uh, Here's one, uh, how to land a hot air balloon. Uh, With the money quote at the end, If you have landed in trees, the basket should be upright, but you may need to wait for rescue. Or landing on water adds complications and should only be considered as a last resort. Now here's one that may hit a little closer to home because of meat prices, how to clean and cook a squirrel. (laughs) Or my favorite of the entire book, how to take a bullet. (laughs) Step one, face the shooter. You do not want to take a bullet in your back or the base of the skull. Step number six, wait for impact. (laughs) And number nine, highly influential seek help immediately thank you uh, extreme edition worst case scenario and then it ends with last ditch liquids you can drink so after distilling you can drink uh, uh, bodily fluids seawater or after disinfecting toilet tank water not toilet bowl water So I don't know if you're going to meet any of those worst-case scenarios in your life, but what in your life this year may have the possibility to wreck or sink your life? And so you may think recession, or inflation, or pandemic, or cancer, or failed exams, or unemployment. Yes, those external things can sink our life, but the icebergs that may shipwreck us may be more subtle than the external crises we may face. It's the things that may lie dormant inside our hearts and our minds. Sin at its heart can wreck our lives quicker and with greater casualty than all sorts of events outside of our control. So what do we need to navigate and not wreck our lives this year? How can we be prepared for the worst and the best case scenarios? I don't think this extreme edition of the survival handbook is going to do many of us much good. But what do we need to face everyday life? We need wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is more than knowledge and understanding. It is those things harnessed to the right end. So think about this. You get up in the middle of the night and you go to your refrigerator and you find a burrito in the back of your refrigerator. So you know a couple things about this burrito. One, it's been in the refrigerator for more than two weeks. You know that bacteria and mold start to be produced after four or five days. That's what you know. Here's what you understand about that burrito. Eating a two-week-old burrito that's laden with mold and bacteria will make you sick. Vomiting is the worst. This is what I understand. But I also understand that it may be okay. (laughs) Wisdom says, Troy Walliser, don't eat the burrito. Throw the burrito away. Knowledge and understanding are important. Wisdom is putting them into action. Theologian J.I. Packer defines wisdom this way. So if you have that slide, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of obtaining it. So it's the power to see, the inclination to choose with the surest means of obtaining the highest and best goal. So wisdom is intellectual, it is practical, but it is also moral according to the Bible. It includes what is good, what is right, and what is true. Wisdom teaches us to live our lives before the Lord and with other people to pursuing the highest goal in life. It helps us avoid the situations and scenarios that may wreck our lives. It helps us survive the everyday occurrences. This is where the book of Proverbs comes into play. It teaches us wisdom. And if you remember, the Proverbs was written as a father to a son or as a king to the nobles, the sons of Israel, it's imparting wisdom from an elder to a younger person. It's teaching them, teaching them teaching us how to conduct our, ourselves in God's world. How do we live? How do we teach? How do we know how to see, choose and obtain the best and highest goals? So the book of Proverbs in the first 9 chapters will give 10 appeals and they all start with my son. My children And so yes, it's Solomon talking to his son, it's a king talking to the nobles, but it's also God the Father talking to us as his children. In this chapter, chapter 2 as we come to you today, will offer guidance and wisdom on which path to take through life, and how to walk that path well. There are many paths that we can take in this life, but the Bible really only reduces them to two, the path of the godly and the righteous, or the path of the ungodly and foolish, The path of foolishness is wide and has many lanes in it, but they all lead to the same place. They all lead to pain, sorrow, and wicked destruction. The path of life, the path of wisdom, leads to flourishing life and eventual glory. And so the Proverbs are written to show us how to walk this life, this path, well. Here's how we see what is good. Here's how we choose what is good. Here's how we obtain the best and the highest goal. And that goal is life in Jesus Christ. So let's move to the book of Proverbs. We're going to read the whole second chapter. <clears throat> so starting in verse 1, Solomon, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding... Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways." So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the path of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So in this chapter, the the writer Solomon will give us three general instructions, three guiding imperatives of how to navigate this life wisely and well. So first, he will instruct us to go. To go search for wisdom. Go out and find it. This passage is built on if then statements. If you do this, then this will happen. So you see three ifs in verse one, if you receive my words. Verse three, if you call out for insight. Verse four, if you seek it like silver. So these are the conditions to go and search for wisdom. Then the results in verse five, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Verse nine, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Verse 16, so you will be delivered, so you will walk. In verse 20, So if you go after wisdom, if you pursue understanding, if you gain knowledge, then you will find it and meet success in your life. This is the whole point of the chapter. And notice that wisdom does not come out of the blue. It does not drop suddenly from the sky. It doesn't appear in your inbox. It doesn't become delivered by UPS. We must go after it. Wisdom is not a passive venture. Here, it's a full-on, all-out search. All the senses are involved. Eyes are attentive. The heart is inclined. The ears are listening. The voice is calling. The eyes are searching. And so how do we do this? Well, we have to be first internally motivated. There's a motivation here before we can go on the search. And this motivation starts in verse 1 with humility. My son, receive my words. Accept my words. The first step to gain wisdom is to realize that I don't have it. I don't got it. I need help. Even the wise know that they need more wisdom. uh, Chapter 11, verse 2 says, With the humble is wisdom. So it's accepting, it's receiving words and wisdom and knowledge from a parent, a teacher, an authority. Ultimately, it's receiving wisdom from God himself. It's humbling ourselves. In humility, We are a second. We are devoted. This motivation is a desire. It's a treasuring. It's an attention. It's an inclination. So think about what you set your heart on. The things that you go after, whether that's a job, a promotion, a girl, a house, a garden, a championship, that elusive bass or 12-point buck, you're going to put everything you have into that. This is the idea that the The writer is telling us that we must treasure and devote ourselves to this. So a moment of introspection for all of us. Do we have the internal desire to find the Lord and to find his wisdom? Are we humble enough to acknowledge that we often don't have it? Do we hunger and thirst after this righteousness, after this wisdom, after the Lord? Are we internally motivated to go find it? And then does that motivation move us to an external pursuit? Do we actually go chase it down? And this external pursuit is against complacency. Look at how uh, chapter 1 of Proverbs ends. Verse 31 says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. And so the simple in the book of Proverbs is the group of people who have not settled on which path to take. They're the young They're the ignorant, the impressionable, they're the the naive. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. And they're just kind of sitting there going, I don't know what to do. Where do I go? What do I do? It's the simple, and that wisdom is calling to them to follow the right path. They've not determined what they are going to do, and if they continue in that state of indecisiveness, they will be destroyed. And the fools in the book of Proverbs are those who reject the Lord's path, They are complacent. They ignore God's law. They shrug their shoulders. They kind of go their own way. Yeah, yeah, I know God's out there, but I don't really care what he has to say. Or, there's not a God out there at all. I can do my own thing. I am the own captain of my ship. The fools are content and satisfied of going their own way. And look where it it leads them. It destroys them. And both of these groups, the simple and the foolish, are tossed around throughout their lives. They can't make a decision or they're walking down the wrong path into eventual shipwreck. They are not prepared to meet the worst-case scenario. They don't have the handbook, or they've thrown the handbook away. So a warning to all of us, do not become complacent. Do not become lazy in our pursuit of wisdom. Do not stop in your quest to find and know God, His Word and His way. Don't stop. Keep moving. Don't go and waste your life in complacency. Go after God's wisdom with diligence. There must be diligence and endurance in our life, in this quest. It's a lifelong quest. We never arrive at full understanding. We never have full knowledge because life keeps changing. And in our pursuit of God, we discover more of God that we need to know. We will face new challenges. We will discover more about God, His gospel, and the truth and we should pursue that we should be motivated with humility going i still have not arrived and this is why in verse three he's calling out for insight he's seeking it he's desperate he needs advice and needs instruction and he's going after it like a treasure if you've lost something important you're going to go find it and you're going to take out all the stops we realized this at my house a couple weeks ago when my oldest, Eloise, lost her squish. And her squish is this little squash mellow, little plush toy that Katie got her that she adores. And she lost squish before her nap one day and lost it. And it was an all-out search. Her mom and Eloise searching the house, searching the car, searching the garage, everything that they could think of, could not find squish. So she goes to bed tentatively, maybe sleeps, maybe doesn't. I get home about the time she gets up and she's frantic to find squash. So, what does Dad do? We go look for squash. Squash is nowhere to be found. We search here and there and everywhere, every place she's ever left it, every place she's ever lost it. He's not there, he's hiding. Eloise finds it in the bottom drawer of my bedside table and rejoicing came to the Casey house. Squash had been found. All was right with the world. I didn't have to spend $85 or $90 on eBay to get a new one. You see, this is the pursuit. When we lose what's important to us, we go after it. We put out all the stops. We call people to help. So are we going after wisdom like this? Who are we going to? Who are we crying out to? Who are we asking? Where do we find it? Or Have we given up? It's impossible to find. There's too many people talking. Are we doomed to live in our own heads, to make sense of the world as it goes along by ourselves? Is there a guide, is there a handbook to teach me the best and highest life? The answer is an overwhelming yes. So we go and we search for wisdom, and then we ask. Secondly, we ask, we find the Lord's wisdom. So here again, if you receive my words, my son, If you call out for insight, if you seek it like silver, then the first then is in verse 5. Then, if you do these things, then you will. It's a definitive. You will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So we introduced the book of Proverbs last week and knowing that the fear of God, the knowledge of God, wisdom starts with the fear and knowledge of the Most High. To pursue God, we must have wisdom From God that flows from a knowledge of God. Wisdom from God flows from a knowledge of God. And so, if we have no reverence for, if we have no devotion to, if we ignore, if we are complacent in our pursuit of the Lord, then we will never be truly wise. You can be incredibly intelligent, you can be incredibly thoughtful. You can have PhDs from every Ivy League university and be educated above everybody in the world. You can be wise by the world's standards, but in the end, if you do not fear God, you are still a fool, as the Bible says. Fools despise the divine wisdom. It despises the godly knowledge because fools, in the end, deny, ignore, and belittle the God who created them and empower them to be intelligent in the first place. And some of you, in order to obtain wisdom, that seeing, knowing, and choosing the best, to obtain that wisdom, you must first learn to revere and worship the God who made you. We do that through the person and work of Jesus. Fools despise wisdom. The wise go after and humble themselves under the almighty hand of God to obtain that source of wisdom through a relationship with this God. Because wisdom is found in the Godhead. It's found in the Trinity. It's part of who God is. It's essential to his nature. Proverbs chapter 3 will say God created in wisdom. His wisdom is often tied to his power. Job and Isaiah will link his wisdom and his power. A power and a wisdom that's active and never fails. It cannot be thwarted. It cannot be overcome. His wisdom is good. It is loving, even when we cannot understand it. His wisdom and His power always seek the best and highest goal. It always chooses the best end. It always obtains the highest because that highest is His glory, His name, and His renown. This is why Paul will pray in Romans chapter 16, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And so wisdom is found in God, and primarily it's found in Christ Himself. And so we looked at these two verses last week, but to remind us that... um, Wisdom is found in the person of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Colossians chapter 2, to reach, Paul is praying for the church, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you want to know, you want to understand, you want to be wise, then know, understand, and follow Jesus. Wisdom is found in him. So wisdom is theological. It's found in God himself. But how does that wisdom get from him to us? It's in verse 6 of our text. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. He speaks his word. Psalm 19, the testimony of the Lord ashore, making wise the simple. And an interesting verse that's very familiar to us comes in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that explains this concept more. And so here Paul is teaching and writing to his protege Timothy. And he says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. What are the sacred writings? Well, it's the Old Testament. It's the Bible. It's the Scripture. These sacred writings, here's the key, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So you see, it's the Scriptures who give us wisdom for salvation. And it's all Scriptures breathed out by God, accepted by faith, and it's profitable for us for life. And so wisdom is found in God himself, and he speaks that word to us. So we cannot be wise if we neglect the study of Scripture. Godly wisdom is not regularly or usually imparted in dreams or visions or fortune cookies or tweets or New York Times bestsellers or pundits or celebrities. The wisdom of God is laid out plainly and clearly in his word from his mouth. So we must read, study, meditate, memorize, and apply the word of God that comes from his mouth. And so we see first that wisdom is theological. So we find wisdom in God himself. We have to understand that second, wisdom is given to us. Finding wisdom is sort of a paradox. So we have this admonition to go find it, but we can never search hard enough. We can't want it bad enough. We can't study Hard enough to find it left on our own. We never get wisdom It has to be given to us And it's given from the right source in the right way So finding wisdom is a paradox Finding wisdom again requires humility. It's saying that I don't have it I need it. I'm gonna go find somebody who does And so we must realize that answers don't originate in our thoughts in our feelings, and our two intuitions. That's the very definition of foolishness. It's relying on our own head and our heart to prove and move us through life. The source of all wisdom is Jesus. He has it. We need it. So stop being foolish, repent of your pride, and come to Christ. And so, <clears throat> my wife and I have been watching old series and old seasons of The Amazing Race because we're boring. And so we're watching, remember the, the CBS show, it's still on after like 25 years, and so you have 12 teams of two who go around the world on this race, and they have little clues to figure out, oh, I've got to go here, I've got to go to Paris, climb the Eiffel Tower. Some of the clues are very uh, bland, go to Rome, find the Colosseum, do these crazy things. And then some of them are very cryptic, the clues that they get to go to the next spot. And so one time they were in Scotland, and they were in the northern part of Scotland, and they don't have a clue that it's our hand in this medallion. And the guy was like, go where this was found. And everybody's like, what is this? Do I go dig it up? Do I go to a museum? Where do I, where do I find this? And so none of these guys have any clue of what to do next. And so like, we got to go ask somebody who knows. So of the teams that were left, all the teams, except one, all the teams go to the cultural center. So you want to know where this thing was found? I'm going to go to a guy who knows, and I'm going to accept his authority. Hey, where was this thing found? And the guy told him, oh, okay, we'll go there. And so they realized they didn't have it. They repented and said, we can't figure this out on our own. Let's go ask and find somebody who knows the answer. That one last team who didn't go to the cultural center, they went to a pub. Ah, oh, these good old boys, they'll know where this thing is. Those folks sent them the exact opposite way of where they should go. Because they went to somebody who didn't have authority, didn't have wisdom, didn't have understanding. And so how do we get wisdom in our life? We don't go to some guy off the street. We go to the one who has it all. We go to God. Solomon, the, the wisest person to ever live outside of Jesus, wasn't born wise. Remember, he has to ask for wisdom. The same applies to you and me. And the command is given in the New Testament for us and for our good. James chapter 1, verse 5, very familiar to most of us. If any of you lacks wisdom, which is all of us, let him ask God. Okay, James, that's pretty blunt. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. You lack it, God has it, ask him and he gives generously. And then Jesus follows up in his own words, Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. So, there's great comfort in this. There is great grace in this. Those who seek and cry out for wisdom will find it when we go to God. We will be provided with it. Look back in Proverbs chapter 2. So, there are many uh, verbs here that say, you will, a future tense that is full of assurance. Verse 5, you will understand the fear of the Lord. Verse 9, you will understand righteousness. Verse 10, wisdom will come. Knowledge will be pleasant. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. You will be delivered. You will walk. These verses are full of encouragement. Then, When we go to God and ask him for wisdom, he gives it to us. So what are we waiting for? Go find, ask for his wisdom. And then when he gives it to you, here's our third admonition, our third instruction. We are to walk and live in wisdom. We are to walk in wisdom. And the, the word walk in the Bible is this admonition. This is how we just live our lives, keep moving forward on the path of life. Knowledge is not much use if it is not applied. And so you can have all the knowledge of how a vehicle works and all the laws and traffic stipulations, but if you never set foot inside a car and drive on I-24 during rush hour, your knowledge is useless. And so we must have knowledge and understanding, but we must put it to work. We must live in wisdom. And so you might have heard the abomination life is hard, life is harder when you're stupid. <laughs> Sorry to let you down, but John Wayne never said that. But it's still true. Life is hard, but life is harder if you're stupid. Or life is harder if you're foolish, more importantly. Life is harder when you're foolish because it leads to destruction. So what do we need? We need wisdom to walk and live our everyday life. Our second then, verse 9. So if you seek wisdom, you ask God, then he will give it to you. Then, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Every good path. So you want to know how to live through your life, through the kaleidoscope of opportunities, through all the varied and myriad things and situations that we get ourselves into? You want to know how to live? You follow God's Word, and you walk in wisdom. Wisdom gives us three things. Wisdom first provides direction. It provides direction. And so here, the word path appears seven times in this chapter. The word way appears five times. And so it's this idea that we're walking through this life and we're trying to figure out which way to go. And God is saying that wisdom provides us directions of how to move, how to navigate through our lives. So the terms show us that these lives, our lives are set on a path either to life or to death. So how do we navigate life? What steps do we take? How do we get from here to there? Well, that's what these Proverbs are giving to us. And unfortunately, it's not like this step-by-step playbook. It's not a set of instructions. All right, tomorrow on June 13th, I'm going to wake up at 620 and do what? You look in the book. It doesn't teach us, but it molds and shapes our moral compass to when we get up on a Monday morning, we know the right things to do because our compass is steered toward the true north of God's character and his word. Remember, wisdom consists in choosing the best means for the best ends. So we navigate through life through wisdom. God is shaping our minds and, more importantly, our hearts to see, to choose, and to obtain the best and highest goal. That's life in Christ. And so, how does wisdom direct us? Well, it directs us in all kinds of ways. Think about marriage. Should I get married? Who should I marry? How do we deal with one another once we are married? Children. How many children do we want to have? How many children are wise? Do we send those kids to public or private school? How do we impose discipline? We need wisdom of how to raise our children. If you want to impart that to me and my wife, we will surely take it, because we need wisdom with three little kids. Wisdom instructs how we vote. What issues are important? What candidate do we vote for? What pundits do we listen to? Wisdom instructions of how to use our money. Where do we invest it? Where do we spend it? What do I save? More importantly, what do I give away? Wisdom teaches us how to work. What type of work should I do? Who should I work for? How do I conduct myself in that job? Wisdom even teaches us about our food and our clothing. Do we care what we eat or where it comes from? Do I care what I wear or how much it costs? How much do we consume every day? Is that burrito really in the fridge really good? I mean, these are the things that help us navigate life. It's wisdom to teach us in all aspects. Every day that you wake up, you have a myriad of decisions to make. Wisdom guides you if we attune our heart to the Lord. It provides direction. And notice in verse 10 that that wisdom becomes internalized. Its wisdom will come into your heart. And this is not let your conscience be your guide. that's Jiminy Cricket and Marvin Gaye. Not your conscience will be your guide, but it's allowing the Spirit of God to direct and care for your life. So as we use Scripture, as we go to God in prayer, He will instruct us, correct us, and direct us because He gives us a new heart. We will want different things. We'll be inclined for different things. The Word of God will direct us. It's an internal GPS saying, go this way, avoid that way. I love Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21 that I memorized and remembered from my t-shirt in high school. And it says this, And your ears shall heal a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, God is saying this is the way. Go this direction. Avoid these things. Follow me. Wisdom provides direction. And hand in hand, wisdom provides direction, but it also provides deliverance. And so, if you look in verse 7 and following, seven times we hear the words shield or guard or watching over or delivering. These words center around protection and safety. Wisdom protects us, it guards us, it keeps us, it delivers us. And primarily, wisdom keeps us from sin. Wisdom does not protect us from a tornado or recession. Wisdom saves us from evil and wickedness that want to ensnare and entrap us. These are truly the worst-case scenarios that the the Proverbs and the writer of Scripture wants us to be aware of. Wisdom helps us avoid them entirely. It sets guardrails on our life, warning signs, barriers. And it saves us from wrecking our life mainly to help us avoid these things. And so the the writer here will give us two main examples. From verse 12 to verse 15, he will talk about the men of perverted speech. That's the ones who are twisted in their words, who want to overthrow everything. Who want to live life in upheaval, to turn everything upside down and inside out. These are violent men, one who, ones who are rejoicing in evil, who are going after a quick dollar, who want to make money at other people's expense. Their paths are crooked and they're deceptive. They lead to darkness, to gloom, and to stumbling. So, what is wisdom teaching us here? It says, don't hang around the wicked people, surround yourself with the godly. Don't become obsessed with material, don't become obsessed with greed. Stay off of those paths. Stay away from the perverse and crooked men. Secondly, he he warns us away from the promiscuous woman, verses 16 through 19. And he will use this example three or four more times in the next few chapters. And this is the, the woman or the man who offer smooth or flattering or attractive or appealing words. Ones that appeal to the ego, the personal gain. It's the one or the thing that promises easy sex. But notice where this leads. It leads to the pit, to death, to the departed. Literally in verse 18, to the place of ghosts. So wisdom teaches us to avoid these compromising situations. It teaches us to keep close to our spouse. It instructs us to keep our eyes and our minds away from pornography, away from sexually explicit material, and to focus on our spouse and purity in marriage. Wisdom screams, don't go down these roads. Stay away from the perverse man. Stay away from the promiscuous woman. Stay away from those who rejoice and delight in sheer and outright evil. Flee from those who promise easy sex. Don't walk down, don't look at, don't consider, don't entertain any notion of moving down that path. They look really good on the outset, but they will lead to your destruction. They will take away your life. You will live your life in dread and disaster. That's where those things lead. And wisdom teaches us, it delivers us, it saves us, it keeps us away from those things. And it keeps us away from those things that hide in our very hearts and minds. So wisdom provides direction. It provides deliverance. But more positive, wisdom produces life. So it keeps us from the path of destruction and gives us the way to abundant life and satisfaction. Wisdom produces life. Is this a temporal satisfaction and abundant life? Maybe. And so if you read the Proverbs, and if you read the Bible, it may seem that a full and flourishing life can happen in this temporal realm. Proverbs really shows us the ideal. Do these things and get rewarded. We know that life doesn't really work out that way. Proverbs give us a picture of what can generally happen. For those who live wisely, better things come. When we follow the Lord, we usually will flourish and grow. These results can be temporal riches, health, long life, thriving relationships, successful jobs, model children, and an honorable reputation. Those are all the promises given in the Proverbs. That might happen, but we have to remember, we have to read Proverbs side by side with Job and Ecclesiastes. The same man who wrote Proverbs writes Ecclesiastes, who says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, it's all worthless. Job and Ecclesiastes give us some realism over the idealism of Proverbs. We have to read both of these together. So what does it mean? Temporal satisfaction abundant life if we are wise? Maybe. Eternal satisfaction? Eternal abundant life? Definitely. And so if we read this, we have to read this with these two planes uh, in view, the temporal and the eternal. And so let's move down to the end in verse 21. And so here he will wrap up his second appeal here with these words, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. The land. What does he mean by the land in in these verses? Well, the land connects back to where they are living, a physical geographic land, the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, the promised land. And this is connected with the law of God, with its rules and its statutes. And so the law was given to the people of God so that they would flourish, that they would grow, that they had wisdom, that they would have understanding. And if the people lived by this covenant, by this law, that they would flourish. So Solomon here is writing to his boys, to his sons, to the nobles, saying, hey, if you keep the law of God, if you remain upright, if you live your lives with integrity, then you will flourish and God will continue to bless you. David and Solomon are living this life out on the temporal level. So, adherence to the law brings great success. They would flourish in the land. Moreover, God would receive glory. Other people around them going, hey, those are wise people. Those are understanding people. How do we get that wisdom? How do we get that understanding? And then people would flock to the nation of Israel, realize that that wisdom and that knowledge that understanding didn't come from them. It came from God and said, hey, we don't want you. We want the God that you serve. And God says that if you do this, if you live in wisdom, if you follow my law, I'm going to dwell with you. So you will be my people, God says, in my place, that's the physical land, under my rule and blessing. Well, that was to them. But what about to us? We're not Israel. We're not living under Solomon. We're not living under the Mosaic law. What does that mean for us? We are still God's people. But God doesn't have a physical geographic place anymore like he did with the temple of Solomon. Where does God dwell? In us. We are God's people. We are God's place as individuals and as a church. God is forming a people to live under his rule and blessing. So what does a wise life look like? What does a, a blessed life look like? Where does the promise come for us to live in the land It promises us that we will be delivered from sin, from its power and its presence. We will have a relationship with God just as God dwelled in the physical land, in the temple in Solomon's day. He dwells in and with us. There is security. God's people will live with God forever. There is rest. There's no more toil and hardship. There is peace. There's no fighting. There's no violence. There is knowledge and understanding. We will know God through Christ. We are under his rule and his blessing. Proverbs 1 verse 33 says, Whoever listens to wisdom will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This promise is only true for us when we live in Christ. Because Christ is the door, Christ is the way, and he is the destination of all wisdom. And so if we look at these two planes, the temporal and the eternal, God is saying that we need to lift our eyes away from the temporal plane and not think about physical blessing, but these spiritual and eternal blessings that God has given to us in Christ. And those things allow us to live through all the junk that we have to walk through here on earth. The storms will still come. We may face one of these worst-case scenarios, but whatever comes to us in this little book or any other day cannot separate us from the love of Christ. So we live in wisdom. We need wisdom. This is why Paul so often prayed for understanding knowledge and wisdom for his people. Colossians chapter one says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so this idea that Paul is praying for us to know God, to walk in his wisdom so we can bear fruit to please and glorify God, that's seeing the best, God's glory. That's choosing the best, God's glory. And that's obtaining the best, increasing and furthering and praising and worshiping and fearing and revering the glory of God no matter what we do, no matter what we face in this life, because we will all face external trials in the coming days. We know that we can still be secure and have no dread of disaster because we are in Christ. We know his word, we follow his word. And then remember Jesus' own words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We like that one. Yeah, he built his house on the rock. But Jesus continues, it says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. That does not sound like your best life now. The storm does come, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So what situations, trials, scenarios, and ordeals might you face in the coming days? What storms may come? What sin lurks in our hearts to derail your life? What icebergs may lie slightly below the surface threatening to shipwreck your life? I'd be surprised and curious if any of these things came true in your life. If they do, please see me because I want to use it as an illustration in the future. We may not face those worst-case scenarios, but are we prepared to meet the ordinary issues and challenges of life? The steps and paths that you choose tomorrow will determine your destination in the future. Remember, life is hard. Life is harder when you're foolish. Stay on the path of wisdom. It's a smooth path, as we'll see next week. As we trust God, He's not going to give us, like, moment-by-moment instructions for every day, but He's going to give us these principles, these guiding instructions to go find wisdom, to ask and search for Him day by day day. You don't just download it once and be on your way for the rest of your life. No, this is a moment-by-moment reliance on God. So go for it. Find it. Search it. Ingest it. Treasure it. Ask for the Lord's help as you go, and we walk in faith, and we ask for his wisdom that is given to us in Christ Jesus as we follow every good path in life. So go find wisdom. Let's pray.